is New Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. My name is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb, and you are listening to the ARC Light Programme. Coming up shortly is our usual retire into repose routine, slumber time stories. Ugh. But first, are you ready to play? Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? New Albion's first telephonic system orientated listeners quiz. Well, I do hope so, as last time's effort was beyond underwhelming. Ugh, not to mention expensive and personally humiliating. Mabel! Do we have a victim? Uh, I mean, uh, a listener lined up this week. Uh, I, I don't see a number on my sheet. Oh, good lord. Is somebody actually ringing in? Oh, hi, hi. This is the Albion Radiophonic Corporation. Theodore speaking. Good day to you, listener. Are you ready to play... Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Ah, hello, my good man. Can I speak to Mabel, please? Hello, listener. Please introduce yourself. This is Professor Elemental. Uh, Sorry, have I dialed the wrong number? Is Mabel not there? Look, do you want to win three shillings or not? Ooh, three shillings. Uh, What do I need to do? Well, let's start with your name. I've already told you. It's Professor Elemental. Professor L.E. Mental? Hmm, a, a professor. Oh, that's quite wonderful. What are you a professor of? Hip-hop. Oh, this is most splendid. You are a surgeon of some description. How many hip operations have you done? What? No, no, I don't do hip operations, you deaf coot. I do hip-hop. Well, there's no need to get personal. What on earth is that exactly? Well, it's a kind of talking over music. Very modern. Like one of those disc jockeys one hears so much about? No. I see. So are you in some kind of beat combo? Oh, I suppose that means you have a studio recording you'd like to mention to our listeners. Ah, well, funny you should mention it. I have a number of fine studio recordings, the most recent of which being the School of Whimsy, which is available at ProfessorElemental.com. <laughs> That's quite enough of that, Professor Mental. Now are you going to play... Can you guess what it is that I'm describing, or not? I have absolutely no idea what that is, but I believe you mentioned three shillings earlier. Indeed, it works thus. I will give you three clues, and if you guess what I'm describing after the first clue, you win three shillings. Oh, there are diminishing returns after that. That sounds truly terrible, but I'm up for winning the money. That's the spirit. Right, well, here we go then. For three shillings, here is the first clue. People that are thirsty often brew me. Hmm, yes. Thirsty brew me. Um, no, that's that's quite tricky. Let me pop on my thinking cap, though. Hang on. Uh, um, I must um, trouble you for an answer. Is it a goat? Very funny. No. Are you sure? No. <sighs> For one shilling and threepence, here is your next clue. In cafes across town, you'll find me hot and brown. Ah, yes, I know what that is. Yes, in every cafe around here, you'll find yourself a goat. Are you sure it's not a goat? What? 
Oh, for crying out loud, are you actually taking this seriously? No, it's not a goat. None of the answers is goat. It's not a goat. All right, keep your shirt on. Less cheek from you, Mendel. Oh, right, since I'm actually losing the will to live, here is the final clue for Ape and Sapony. Be barking happy, for my name it doth rhyme with Pup of Glee. Pup of Glee. Can I phone a friend? Do what? No, you can't telephone a friend. We only have one telephonic apparatus, so I'd have to hang up and... No! For crying out loud. Do you have an answer or not? Is it a tree? No, it's not a fuck tree. It's not a goat. It's not any of these things. That's pretty much the only two things I can think of. If it's not a goat and it's not a tree, what is it? It's a cup of tea. Oh. Oh, well, I only rang up to speak to Mabel anyway. Could you pass on a message for me? Goodbye. Mabel, are you giving out the station number to your young gentleman friends? Who was that man? Some sort of popular music crooner? Honestly, you are the giddy limit. No, 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 I don't care he's a so-called professor. We are having words. Yes, again. And now on the light programme, it's time for Slumbertime Stories. And this week, it's the first part of an exciting adventure called Crash. <laughs> ARC presents... Crash by Darren Callow. Darkness. The thin, stale air, such as it was, smelt of burnt rubber and vile oil smoke. It was also bitterly hot, with a dry heat that stung the eyes and lips. There were sounds resonating in the air, the clank of cooling metal, distant shouts and cries, and perhaps the urgent crackle of fire. Having barely regained consciousness, a man, strapped tightly to a complicated-looking chair, attempted to ease his gritty eyes open and tune in any other available senses to work out where he was. He seemed unable to move his arms or legs very much, and his vision was obscured by glass perhaps a visor of some sort. His slowly waking brain tried to figure out where he was and how he might have got there. The visor was part of a cumbersome helmet attached to an equally bulky suit that weighed him down into his seat. Moving an arm cautiously to test the gravity, it seemed that it was not unusual in any way that he could detect. So most probably the craft was on the earth, rather than any extraterrestrial location. There was a sudden grating burst of static and radio chatter in his ears, but it came and went before he could focus on it. So he was some sort of pilot or spaceman, perhaps. But he couldn't yet rule out being a diver, either. The air seemed so hot he could barely breathe. Perhaps something was on fire, or he was in a very hot place, deep underground, perhaps. His limited vision began to swim. The clunky controls of the craft that he could make out began to wobble a little. There was a tremor and a rumble from somewhere distant below his feet. Although he was lying on his back, it now seemed. 
He felt only confusion and was struggling even to recall who he was, let alone what he was doing there. This absence of memory created an even odder sensation, an intense feeling of déjà vu. He'd felt this way before, possibly more than once. Although this could simply all be a trick of a damaged mind. He, he tried again to simply recall his own name. He was getting a letter, G perhaps, or B. He rolled it on his tongue and it seemed to have a taste, a sweet taste, out of context with the bitter fumes around him. Grr, brr, grr. He ran it round and round. It felt right, but his brain wouldn't supply any further letters. Then the stars appeared, and his head began to swim sickeningly, round and round and round, and falling, falling hard. He blacked out again. Grenville! Grenville! Wake up! The girl's voice rattled urgently in his ears, accompanied by unnecessarily violent shaking. Grenville, wake up! Daddy says we need to go soon! As Grenville rolled over onto his side, his lovingly crafted space helmet, actually an old kitchen colander with a pair of welding goggles on top, slipped down and pinched his ear. Ow! He yelped in his juvenile tones and sat abruptly upright. He was sitting under his favourite apple tree at the bottom of his parents' garden. He remembered he'd been on the swing in full astronaut outfit, colander helmet, old white pyjamas with lovingly sewn insignia and improvised equipment, his father's far too large old fleece-lined winter gloves sweaty on his small hands. Before tiredness and warm summer sunlight had caused him to curl up for a nap. His twin sister, Amelia, shook him again, even though he was very clearly awake now. Get off me, he yelped tetchily. His sister stood with hands on the hips of her sailor dress, head cocked in a defiant posture. Daddy said the airship is working now. Well, probably. Maybe. He says we have to go now. The Martians are coming. This last statement caused the eight-year-old Grenville to come fully awake, his heart beating rapidly, his eyes staring wide. He looked back towards the house and the faintly visible smoke of the metropolis beyond to see if he could spot any Martians about to devour his family home. He was only a little disappointed that no aliens were visible, but the house was a hive of frantic activity nonetheless. The three-storey sprawling country pile that was the Lushthorpe's ancestral home was dwarfed by the imposing expanse of Papa Lushthorpe's incredible multi-tiered airship. With four main gas envelopes, quadruple steam-driven propeller engines and multiple gondolas, balconies, equipment sponsons and gilded cabins. For all its incredible looming gothic beauty, its most distinctive feature was probably its lack of operation. Engineers and crew moved this way and that over the superstructure gantries, tools were waved, instruction manuals frantically leafed through, and all manner of insults and instructions turned the air blue. Amongst it all, 
the imposing sight of Papa Lushthorpe himself could be seen castigating anyone that came in his general area of influence and urging all others to greater efforts. And despite this, the airship edifice was clearly not going anywhere in a hurry. Grenville sighed to himself, and Amelia realised with sibling satisfaction that perhaps she had woken him too hastily. I really don't think we're going anywhere just yet, sighed Grenville. Don't care, muttered Amelia as she began to stamp back towards the house. I'm going to finish packing with Mumsy. Grenville watched her depart for a while, contemplating whether to go back to sleep. In the end, he thought perhaps it was better to be awake and alert, just in case any Martians did make an appearance. Space General Grenville first class, needed to be ready for anything. So he hauled his lanky body up off the grass and began to trudge in his heavy winter boots back towards the house. Halfway across the lawn there came a great commotion from the airship. One of the four mighty steam engines had come suddenly to life, belching flame and steam in all obvious directions and a few surprising ones. This in turn had caused the airship to shrug off its rather pathetic moorings, and it was now chugging sedately, at a mere one or two miles per hour, down the slope away from the house towards the village church. All ground-based attendants began a frantic attempt to re-secure it. Frenzied shouting brought all the servants and staff running from the house to assist. Grenville just yawned and continued to plod laconically towards the house. His father's crazy inventions rarely worked first time, or indeed second time. In fact, often no times at all. All around the grounds were strewn the remains of previous airships, landships, boats, and all manner of other contraptions that had been abandoned in the spot where they finally gave up the ghost. It wasn't worth his effort even worrying about it. No, it was far better to launch a new mission, to brave the long climb up the stairs, to space control. Or his bedroom, as his parents insisted on calling it. He adjusted his colander on his head and brought his goggles down over his eyes. Even though he was only eight, Grenville was tall and lanky for his age, and the pyjamas were a little too small, his ankles and wrists sticking out incongruously. As he came to the back door, he saw his ray gun on the kitchen table. It was lovingly crafted from wood and laboratory parts, and really rather looked the part. He picked it up and girded himself for the arduous adventure ahead. Attired thus, and looking really rather fearsome, he imagined, he stomped determinedly out of the kitchen into the panelled hallway. His macho demeanour was then rather broken by the nagging voice in his head of Mumsy, commanding that he remove his boots. He contemplated ignoring this internal dialogue, since there were no adults to be seen anywhere around. But in the end, he realised his life probably wouldn't be worth living if he got mud on the rug, so he bent down to untie them. Grenville! came the urgent but strangely subdued voice of his twin sister, who had suddenly reappeared in the corridor. Her eyes wide. She continued this odd stage whisper. 
You're not going to believe this. Before he could ask what exactly it was he wasn't going to believe, she told him anyway. There's a Martian robot in the parlour. Ah, thought Grenville to himself. Good idea, a submission before the main mission. Although it wasn't really like his sister to join in his space games willingly. There you idiot, she continued, seeing his wry smile. There really is a Martian robot in the parlour. A real one, from Marv. Come and see for yourself if you don't believe me. He didn't believe her, so clomped along behind as she trod an exaggerated tiptoe around the corner towards the ornate oak door of the parlour. She tried to make him quiet down a bit with a stern finger to her lips as she slowly pushed the heavy door, and they both peered around into the room. Sure enough, it turned out that his daft sister was actually right. In the middle of the parlour, on the second best rug, was a three-legged and extremely odd-looking six-feet-tall bronze robot. Curiously, though, and in a weird echo of all the other mad contraptions about the house, it really didn't seem to be doing anything very much. In point of fact, it gave the distinct impression of being completely broken. Are you sure it's not one of Papa's? whispered Grenville to his sister, reluctantly adopting her exaggerated tones of secrecy. No, it's not one of his. I know, for sure. How do you know for sure? It looks broken like all the others. She conceded this point with a shrug, but wasn't about to change her story. I just know. How do you just know? growled Grenville through his teeth, getting a bit fed up with his sister's games. I just know, she paused melodramatically, because there's a Martian in the servant hall. Grenville's eyes, that were already at their near furthest extremes of wideness, widened to the point of maximum wideness, and he gulped nervously. Take a look if you don't believe me, challenged Amelia, standing back and readopting her hip-hand position, of which she was so fond. He gulped again. Fine, I will, he said bravely, and ignoring the look of alarm in her face, checked his helmet was on securely, and raised his ray gun. Uh, actually, I was thinking we should just probably tell Mum the Mumvy, she stuttered nervously. I'm Space General First Class Lushthorpe, replied the boy, dry-mouthed. I could deal with a Martian. In his bravado, he'd almost convinced himself, and before Amelia could add anything else, he stepped into the parlour and towards the looming robot. <laughs> no. Well, that's quite a situation for our young... Wait a minute. What on earth is this music? Mabel, is this your gentleman caller? So-called Professor Mental? Oh, it's such a racket. Honestly, how do you put up with this? Well, it just sounds like noise to me. I don't need weapons, that's not very nice. At the top of your lungs, all shout and sing. No doubt, no fear, we'll live like kings. 
Live Like Kings? What sort of name for a song is that? No, I don't care if it's available to purchase from ProfessorElemental.com, whatever that might be. No, I certainly won't be purchasing it anytime soon. No. I would get you to turn it off, but I suspect no one is listening anyway. Well, good night, New Albion. I wish you dreams of a bright future. Tonight's work overtime Weekends go late, he'd go most of the time Until one day he broke down close to crying He gave it all in, now he's as broke as I am I once knew a star who'd achieved a dream All stories, voices and characters Created by and copyright to Darren Callum With the exception of Professor Elemental Who played himself For more information about Professor Elemental Go to www.professorelemental.com Vital facts. You get all music by Charlotte Savigar, with the exception of Live Like Kings, from the album The School of Whimsy, by Professor Element. Tales of New Albion is available to buy from Amazon online stores or via Bandcamp, where the album is also available. For more information, go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production for Albion Radiophonic Corporation. Oh no, carry on, that was, that was beautiful. That's lovely. <laughs>